Well, good morning, Spencer Church. It's good to see you guys. It's good to see a packed house. We uh, hope you guys are enjoying the season. I feel like for our family, that, that, that season, that stretch between Thanksgiving... Oh, yeah, yeah, dismiss for kids. Thanks, dismiss for kids. Thank you. The question is, would I have been so oblivious I didn't know half the congregation leaving... Or I have felt like, what did I just say? So, thank you. Um, we're in this stretch between Thanksgiving and, and New Year's. kind of has a climax at Christmas and Christmas Eve, but we're our family. Like, half the time it's totally stressful and you're running around like crazy, and half the time you're just kind of going a little slow and enjoying family time together. So, I don't know if that's what you guys are like. That's what our life is like right now. Uh, the, other, uh, the other day... One of my sons is in the car with me, and, and by the way, I'm sorry, Bridget and our boys couldn't make it. Those of you that know me, we've got four boys. My wife, Bridget, and I have four boys, and I'm kind of like uh, Jenny's up here, kind of holding on the fort. Bridget had some stuff she had to do in, in uh, Spirit Lake today, so she couldn't make it down, but I'm driving to the Y, and I'm going to get some racquetball in with a couple of my sons, and, and if, if you know Zach, and some of our teenagers have been on mission trips with Zach, you know my Zach, like he comes up with things out of left field, like it's never what you're expecting, and we're driving along. And I'm talking about racquetball with one of my sons. And Zach just goes, Dad, did you know there's a chicken that lived 18 months with its head cut off? Like, that's what he leads in with. It's just like, out of nowhere, back row, here's what I got for you, Dad. And <clears throat> Zach always has these random, random stories and, and, and thoughts. And I, I just go, hey, Zach, that's not true. I go, you know, everything you hear isn't true. And he goes, no, Dad, this is true. I, I heard it on the Internet. And I'm like, oh, oh, okay. And I had to explain to Zach, and, and you got to understand this, uh, I didn't grow up on a farm, but I've been around farmers and farm people, and I've been out there when they did the chicken day, you know, and, and so I know chickens don't die right away, they still run around a little while, so in my mind I'm thinking, Zach probably read some article about a chicken that ran around for a long time, or it's an urban legend, and I say, Zach, it just, that doesn't happen, a chicken can't live for a year and a half with no head, and, and you know, he says, it's on the internet, and, and I go, Zach, it's not real, people make stories up. And he goes, bet me a soda, Dad, which for, that's like big time at our house, right? That's like, I double dare you with a cherry on top. Bet me a soda, Dad. And I'm like, you know what, I'll teach the kid a lesson. I'm going to make the bet, and I'm going to make him pay up. So I bet him, and then this is Zach's big, like, authority thing. He goes, give me the phone, because he's going to check Google, right? Give me the phone. So I give him the phone. I'm still driving, and he hands me up my phone, and it says, this, this, the headline of the article is, Miracle Mike, the Headless Chicken. Okay, and at this point, I'm not worried at all because I can find anything under the sun on the internet. And I go, Zach, just because somebody did an article on it doesn't mean it's true. And he goes, there's a picture, Dad. And sure enough, here's a chicken and a head. And I go, Zach, it's not true. And then all of a sudden, as we get to the, <laughs> the, the, the why, we're walking down to the court. And, and I, I go through my phone, and there's an article on Wikipedia about Miracle Mike the Headless Chicken. And Wikipedia is a little more reliable and I'm like, no way. So I went to one of those Mythbuster websites, right? Turns out there was a chicken in Colorado in the 40s. And the, the farmer and his wife were doing the, the chicken day, as you farmers know. And, and they sliced, and they just, just caught the head off. They missed, like, the bottom half of the brain, which I guess in a chicken is most of its functional uh, brain. And this chicken did live for 18 months. It was true. I couldn't believe it. So... Uh, <laughs> I, I have to buy a soda for Zach, and then on top of that, you know, the other day, Zach, we were playing a game, and Zach goes, Dad, did you know people, he's having a, a soda, root beer, he goes, did you know people used to get drunk off of root beer, and it's like, I don't even challenge him anymore, I'm like, it's probably true, it's probably true, 
Now, all I would ask is please do not be Googling Miracle Mike, the headless chair. Okay, Dave, I don't want to see you looking down at your phone. You can do that on the way home. You can do that over lunch. But, but I assure you it was true. So I, I lead in with that because um, we're in this one-on-one series here, right? This one-on-one series. And um, we're basically looking at some of the first people that were giving an account of Jesus and his birth. And, and I got to tell you, the only reason this story got documented is the owner of the chicken would bring that stinking, stinking chicken into the, the local pub and he'd have it in a box and he'd talk people into making a bet with him. He'd say, hey, I got a chicken without a head that's still alive. You wanna... And he'd win beers or, or drinks at the pub using this chicken. And finally he realized he could travel around with it on a circuit and make some money like with the circus. And so he was like a, a, a guy going around sharing this. And that's how it got documented. And that's the only reason I lead in with that crazy story that I lost a soda over is that it's really important that things are documented. Otherwise, you never would believe it. And we're going to be looking between now and Christmas at different testimonies or witnesses about the birth of Jesus. Now, today I was given, and I'm kind of thankful, the shepherds. I really kind of like the shepherds count. So uh, what we'll do this morning is we'll turn to Luke chapter 2, if you would, and that's where we're going to be at for the message. And I'm going to pray for us. If you'd turn there, that'd be great. Lord, I just pray. First of all, I want to pray for Pastor Stephen as he's up at Spirit Lake Crosswind, Sharon. Thank you for him, and thank you for what a gifted communicator he is. And I pray his messages would be going great. And Lord, I pray for this morning that as we look at your word, Lord, I pray, one, that we'd learn more about it, but two, let us not just leave here with a fatter brain, Lord. Would we figure at least one thing out that can affect our life like this week, like this month? And would we let your word change us? Amen. All right, so as you turn there, as you turn there, I'm going to put the background up on the the screen here. I like to give you guys a little bit of context on stuff. So um, background, I've got a picture of the, the Middle East up there, and especially Israel. And you can see Bethlehem is just south, just south of Jerusalem there, okay? It's only about five miles, six miles south of Jerusalem. And uh, that would be about, you know, I was driving down here today, and as I passed Fostoria, that'd be about the distance from Fostoria to here, those of you that, that, that know this area well. It's not far at all. It's right outside. It's a small town. It was around four or 500 people is what most of uh, the commentators say, okay? So a small town. And it went through something, though, every once in a while when they would do the census. Remember, that's what happened when Jesus was born, was they were doing a census. And you had to go back to your hometown. Okay, I was just down in Iowa City last week for Thanksgiving. That's where I'm from, and that's where our family gathers. So you had to go back to your hometown to do the census. And so I know, Clay County, I know this is going to be hard for you to understand, but there was a time of year when, like, everybody came to their town. I know you can't even wrap your minds around that, right? It's fair week, right? Like, like everybody shows up, and there's no hotels. There's no parking. Um, even their family members don't have room for them. And that's how Mary and Joseph ended up in what was kind of like a first century garage or first century attached barn to have Jesus, okay? So, so that's what's happened here is, is the census has happened and Bethlehem has blown up in population. And now let's go to that next slide there. I'll tell you a little bit about the shepherds. Um, shepherds would have been in the fields outside of Bethlehem. So they're not in the town right now, they're in the fields. Uh, being a shepherd back then was not a great position. It wasn't a good job. And I need you to get this, okay, because this is part of, of where we go later on. It's not just that it didn't pay well, and it's not just like an entry-level job. Like, we have those in the States today where it's like, man, I wouldn't want to do that, right? But there were things associated with being a shepherd that were not good. So it wasn't just your job or your pay. It was culturally, you were looked down upon. And it's hard for us because we don't really do that much in the United States, or we shouldn't. But there's other worlds or other parts of the world where they have systems, social systems, and you do not want to be in the lowest system. And that's what it was like there. So in, in Israel, 
if you were a shepherd, you remember when the religious leaders came to Jesus and they're like, he hangs out with sinners and tax collectors. And in my mind, they always kind of do that with their head, right? But they're looking down on him and them. Well, there was this lowest level, which they called sinners, which had been tax collectors, prostitutes, people with leprosy. And shepherds were in that low, low level. So when we look at shepherds, it's not just that they were low-paid farmhands. They were really kind of the lowest level of society. Uh, if we can keep going there. They, they couldn't be a witness in a trial. Okay, they weren't considered reliable um, testimony. In fact, you weren't even allowed to buy milk or meat or wool from a shepherd because it was just kind of assumed they probably stole it. And then last, because of their job working with animals and especially some unclean animals, they weren't allowed, I, I wish this would have said temple, but they weren't allowed into the temple to worship. They weren't allowed in. So as we look at the shepherds, keep in mind, God didn't just pick anybody. He picked shepherds, and shepherds were a special level of low in the society we're looking at. With that said, hopefully you're in Luke 2 by now, and I'll go ahead and read this. If you'd follow along, that'd be great. I'll be reading from the ESV. <clears throat> and in, I'll start with verse 8, by the way, Luke 8, Luke 2, 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they, the shepherds, were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. So first of all, I want to talk about the angels a little bit. You've got to understand something. When an angel would appear to somebody, generally their introduction was something like this. Don't freak out. Stay calm, because angels were so glorious, were so amazing, that when they would show up, a lot of times in Scripture, people were just scared, just scared. This wasn't like, like a, a beautiful sunset, and it's like, oh, that's just gorgeous. That just No, it was fearful. I've got two uh, proof texts here. Luke 1, you don't have to turn here, but Luke 1, 11 through 13, when an angel appeared to Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, he shows up. I'll just read the underlined part. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. And of course, what does the angel say? Do not be afraid. And then we can, we can go to Luke, um, Luke 1, 26 through 30. And now the angel's talking to Mary, the mother of Jesus. And we'll go to that verse on the screen here, and I'll just read the underlined part. But she was greatly troubled. And what does the angel say to her? Do not be afraid, Mary. So I just want to let you know, just to set this up, you got shepherds out in the fields, and then you got these angels that come and show their stuff to them. Now, <clears throat> I'm going to show you a 30-second video. And before we play it, I generally like to set videos up for you. I'm actually just going to let it go, and I'll talk about it afterwards. Just so you know, there's not an angel in this video, okay? Right? I just want to let you know that, not an angel. But I think this would be pretty similar to what would happen when you encounter an angel. Go ahead and roll that clip. Make sure our sound is on, please. Why are you moving? You can go to the blank screen. Now, I left it go a little longer just because what do you hear in the background? Kid crying, animals barking. Parents like, I don't know, I don't know. What happened was lightning struck like the yard right next to him. Okay? But I love in that video 
when the dad takes off, this would be me, right? Action father, dad. Next thing you know, he's on the ground doing like a backstroke to get in the house over a scooter. Guys, that's kind of, like, that kind of shock and awe is probably very similar to what the shepherds, to what people that encountered angels went through. Some of you were cracking up because that's all, you know it would have been you, right? Like, I'm not going after the kid. I'm just like surviving. So here's the deal. That's what it probably would have been like for those shepherds. So a, a big, big fearful event. Let's keep going. Keep your finger on the text there. We'll go to verse 8 through 10 now. Let's put it up on the screen if we could. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch. I'm sorry, I just read that. Let's go down to 11 through 14. For unto you, this is the angel speaking now, is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, we're not going to do this. But we could literally spend a whole sermon on these two ideas. That the angel identifies Jesus, the Messiah, as both Savior and Lord. Can I just ask you guys, by the way, my style is a little different than Jordan's. I break the fourth wall. I love to talk. Okay, it's just how I am. I love to talk with you. I love to ask you. So let me just ask you, most people in your life that you know that, that are Christians or that say they're Christians, would you say they really love to connect with Jesus as Savior, meaning he's the one that gets me out of hell, he's the one that paid the price for my sin, he's the one that saved me, or do they tend, and remember, I work with students, okay, so this is my context, do they tend to like the Lord part, where it's like, that means king, that means boss, that means I submit to him, he's in charge, and I do what he says. Just out of curiosity, by a raise of hands, how many would say, most people you know, they prefer, prefer Jesus the Savior, Jesus the Savior, okay, a lot of you, hands down, just out of curiosity, how many of you say, no, most people love Jesus the boss. They love to be under somebody else's lead. They look forward to, hey, Jesus, you just tell me everything to do, and I'll just follow you obediently. Anybody? Some? One. Excellent. I want to meet your friends. That's amazing. But here's the deal. Again, we could go on and on about this, but don't forget this, Spencer. Jesus didn't come just to save us. He also came to lead us, and his leadership is good and it's the best. So I just want to touch on that. Again, we could go that direction the rest of the time. We're not going to. We're not going to. Let's go to verse 15, and we'll keep reading through to 20. Let's get it up here. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem, because they're in the fields. Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. So it was just as the angel said. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning the child. So I've underlined right here in this first part, let us go over to them. So the first thing that happens when the shepherds get the message is they don't stay in the fields. They're kind of like, hey, let's go check this out. Let's go see what this is all about. They want, there's action. There's involvement. There's participation. They're into it, okay? Now, Let's go down a little bit farther. Next slide here. I went ahead and underlined this part, and I wanted to skip down to the NIV because I like the translation just a little bit more here. This is the next thing they did. It says, they spread the word, the shepherds, spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, 
And all who heard it were amazed. So the first thing they do is they go and they check it out. And it's real, it's true. There he is. Now most babies were swaddled, that's not uncommon. It's like if you found a baby in diapers, that's normal. But the manger part was really unique. So when they found the baby in the manger, they knew this is the one. And then they knew about him, and they told people about this good news. We'll keep going here, and let's go ahead. I'll start in verse 18, and I'll finish this out. And all who heard it wondered at what the angels told him, told them. But Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. Verse 20, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. So you have kind of a three-part response here, you guys. One is they went and checked it out. Two is they went out and told people about it. And then three, they knew the right thing to do was to worship, to, to glorify, to respond in worship. And that's what you've got. Now, if you're following in the bulletin, we'll switch to the two big ideas here, okay? And there's really, you know, when you're reading through Scripture, and I hope you guys do personal devos throughout the week, uh, when you read it, I hope you don't just read it, like read two verses to check that off your to-do list. Or I hope you're really getting something out of it. And so when you read through Scripture, it's really good, once you've read through it, to stop and just say, God, like what was the big idea there? Was there one big idea? Was there three or four? What's the big idea? What was true for like the shepherds back then? What might be true for us today? What's the big idea? And there's really two. And if you are the type that fills out your, your bulletins, you can fill it out. I tend to doodle, but whatever you want, okay? The first thing is this. First big idea, the shepherd's appropriate response. Their appropriate, and I have that in quotes, because I was really struggling with what word to use there to describe their response. It was an amazing response. It was a great response, but honestly, appropriate's the best word because of what was told to them. There's really nothing they could have done that would have overdone it in the response to the message they'd heard. So this response was exactly spot on what they should have done. It was appropriate. They went and checked it out. They went and told. They came back and they praised. Okay. Now, again, if we wanted to, and I had to kind of decide where I wanted to run with this this morning, that's a great option. And we could spend the next 15 minutes, 20 minutes looking at that. But just remember, these are what Christians do in response to the Christmas story, in response to the life and ministry of Christ, in response to the Easter story. This is what Christians do. What I want to do is look at the second big idea, which I'm calling the MO, the mode of operation. Okay, so next slide, please. God's mode of operation, God's MO. I got to tell you, he does things weird. Can, can I ask you again? Can I just come up? How many of you have ever had an experience with God? where God went like 180 degrees, the opposite direction of what you and all your wisdom and knowledge and experience and expertise would have done, God does. How many of you ever had God do one of those? Hands down. If you didn't just raise your hand, keep going and you will. Because it's kind of God's M.O. It's how he works, okay? So I want to put up here, and I'm going to back up to the first big idea, okay? So next slide. God's mode of operation here is kind of funny. Because the second two things that happen is he has these shepherds going out witnessing. And then they come back and they worship. Let me see if you're paying attention this morning. Why is that kind of funny? Why is that kind of ironic that he has shepherds witnessing? Because they weren't allowed to. Society said, we're not going to trust what you say. And God says, 
Those are my boys right there. I'm going to send them out, and they're going to tell people, and people will listen. Hey, guys, sometime do this. Sometime do this when you've got just like a, a lull, and you've got just a month or two to devote to reading. Read through one gospel or try to get through all four of them, and just underline or highlight or circle when God uses the person that probably you wouldn't use or the religious leaders wouldn't use. It's kind of his MO. So here he says, you know what? These guys that aren't even allowed to give a witness, yet they're going to be the ones. Angels go to them. And you know the guys that can't even get into the temple because they're unclean? Because they work with sheep? Well, this is my Lamb of God right here. That's my team. Get them, and they're going to worship right now. I mean, do you get the irony of Jesus? He's amazing. So God's MO is what I want to spend the majority of the morning on, and I think it's just great. Let's go to the next slide there if you would. I'm going to give you a few examples of how God does things differently. Jesus was born into a very average family. Maybe as the world saw it, below average. Like he didn't come in born in royalty, born as a king, an earthly king. He didn't do that. He was from a divine line, a kingly line, I should say, but he didn't come with a silver spoon in his mouth. He was raised in a pretty insignificant, small town. Can I, can I just ask you real quick, I, how do you feel about Spencer? I hope you're proud of Spencer. This is such a great area. I love Spirit Lake. I love Spencer. You know, when I go back to Iowa City, sometimes I have family members that think we live out in the boondocks, and, we, and I'm like, you guys, northwestern Iowa is one of the best places on earth to live, to raise a kid. Like, it's amazing, the friendships, the realness. I'm not trying to get down on big cities. I've lived in Chicago. I've lived in Iowa. I've lived in big cities. But he came from a town that most of the known world would snub their nose at. He was a very ordinary person like us. Uh, he worked a blue-collar job. He was a carpenter. His ministry team included a tax collector. Remember I talked about that sin level, the lowest level of society? A tax collector who were looked down upon. Several fishermen, salty leaders, people, Simon the Zealot, a lot of us don't know about him. He was, the closest thing you can say to a zealot was they would be like a terrorist, a religious terrorist. They wanted upheaval. They wanted to turn things over. <laughs> Jesus had him as one of the disciples. Jesus also had women on his ministry team. And I think for a 21st century guy from the United States, that doesn't really shock me. It's like, well, sure, women are in leadership all over the place. But for Jesus to do that in first century Israel, was revolutionary so jesus when he puts his team together is so different but what i'm trying to paint for you guys is this picture of jesus just so you know by the way and i recognize many of you but if you're a visitor today and maybe you're a visitor because you just moved to town or maybe you're a visitor because you go to another church or thinking about whatever maybe you're a visitor because you're like i was when i was in high school i didn't grow up in the church i didn't grow up having a relationship with jesus so maybe you're here and you're like, I'm just checking this. I'm not checking the church out. I'm checking this Jesus out. And if that's you, can I just tell you this about Jesus? One of my very favorite things about him was he was approachable. Like the people that the religious leaders totally judged, somehow Jesus was so approachable to them. He connected with them. He was just a down-to-earth guy. God, but down-to-earth. Let's keep going to that next slide. A couple more. God's mode of operation. His first recorded miracle took place at a wedding party. Think, have you ever thought about that? He wasn't in like a big church service. 
He didn't have, he didn't do it, and there were thousands of them from his first miracle. He's just at a wedding party, and they run out of good wine. All they have left is water. He's like, I can fix that. I can take it. It's a very subtle, low-key miracle. He didn't save anybody, heal anybody. He just turned water to wine. Now, don't get me wrong. That's quite the miracle. I can't do that for you, right? But he's low-key. He first revealed that he was the Messiah to a Samaritan woman. Watch my hand. This should blow your mind. Sometimes we read that and he's like, okay, talking to a lady at the well. But as a rabbi, as a Jewish rabbi, you guys, I mean, when you read through this the next time, look at the disciples' response. They're shocked that he was talking to this gal. Because as a Jewish rabbi, first of all, he's not supposed to be talking one-on-one with a woman. Secondly, she was Samaritan. We don't have time for this day, but this half Jewish, half not, and they were very judged and looked down upon by Jewish people. To be talking to not just a woman, but a Samaritan woman, he shouldn't have been talking to any Samaritan. And on top of that, as you read through the woman on the well, or the woman at the well, you realize she kind of had a shady past and a shady present. Jesus had like no business culturally talking to this lady, and yet she felt comfortable with him. In fact, read through it. How does she end the conversation? She goes off and brags about him to other people. So if you're visiting, and especially if you're visiting the faith, not just the church, can I just tell you, this is a Jesus, this is a guy you want to learn about. He's amazing. He stayed at Zacchaeus' house. Remember Zacchaeus, the tax collector, the wee little man, right? He stays at the tax collector's house. Again, guys, I'm guilty of this. I read over this stuff, and it's just like, well, sure, he stayed at the dude's house. He's, he's a tax collector. He probably had a nice pad, right? He probably had a nice place, okay? Can, can I tell you something that happened to me? This was probably five years ago. I'm a pastor in Esterville, and I'm, I'm helping with a college ministry, and one of the guys was living at this house. He's a college student, but he's living at this house with like five or six other people. And he gets a hold of me. He's like, Chris, I got to move, and I got to move today. I got to get out of this house. It's not healthy. Can you come and help me move? And his name's Brian. You guys don't know him. He lives out of town now. I said, Brian, absolutely, I'll help you move. So I go, and when I go to help Brian move, it doesn't take me long to realize why he's moving this house is clearly, there are, I'll just say, illegal activities being done in this house, okay? Uh, not the pharmaceutical kind, but the other kind, right? Uh, illegal activities being done in this house, probably being sold out of this house. So I'm like, yeah, we, we need to get you out of here, Brian. So we're moving stuff, and as we're moving, and, and it was me and Brian, and then Brian's girlfriend was there, uh, two people that lived there pulled up. And one of the guys that gets out, I'm pretty sure was, we'll just call him the head of the business, okay? We'll just put it that way. He gets out, and Brian looks at me. And he says, Chris, if he starts yelling at my girlfriend, he and I are going to throw down. And he says, you take care of the other guy. <laughs> yeah, right? Right? And I'm like, now they're walking up to the door, so I don't have t- time to tell Brian this, but there's two things I'll tell you this morning that Brian didn't know. The first one is, uh, you know they say you're either a lover or a fighter, Right? Dan, you probably know which one I am, right? Like, I'm a lover, right? So I'm like, well, I can talk to this guy, but I'm not going to throw down with this guy while you're fighting this guy, right? The other thing Brian didn't know about me was like five minutes earlier, when I bent over to pick up a couch, I split my pants all the way down the back. So I don't exactly have my sparring gi on anyway, right? Like, I'm in no shape like, like, to be rolling around the yard. We'll put it that way. I'll fast forward to the end. Uh, the guys came. I did help de-escalate stuff, and nothing bad happened. We got them loaded up, and we got them out of there, okay? But when this was happening, when they were walking up to the house, I had this thought go through my mind, which was, 
man, if there is a fight here and the cops get called, how is this going to look? Like, like, and I was a pastor at the time. I'm at this drug house. There's a fight going on. And, and, and selfishly, I'm just like, man, this, this, I'm going to have some explaining to do. And can I just tell you one of my favorite things about Jesus is Jesus never, ever sinned. But Jesus didn't think like I think. Jesus wasn't like looking out for himself, thinking all the time, what are people going to think? How's this going to Jesus just met with people where they were at. Are you with me? He met them where they were at. Jesus probably would have connected with the guy coming up in the car because he was a lover, right? Guys, that's our Jesus. Last one here. The first people to know about the resurrection were women. And again, we read over this and it seems insignificant because they were friends of Jesus. But to have women in that culture trusted with that message, it shows you that God's MO is like so 180 different from our own. So that's the direction I really wanted to go today was to look at the second big idea, God's MO. Now, it would be a shame if we went through all that and we didn't have any takeaways because we always want to get application out of the message, right? Okay, I understand what it meant for them. I understand what it means, big picture, big idea. But, but like, what's it mean when we get home to Milford? What's it mean when we get home to the farm? What's it mean when we get home and I'm alone with the kids and my husband's in another country? Like, what's it mean for us today? So let's go to the application real quick. Let's go to the application. Um, two takeaways, two takeaways. Number one is this. God can use you or me right now. Now, originally when I did this, I just had God can use you, because he can. But I really felt prompted by the Holy Spirit to put those last couple words right now. Because in my life and in people I work with's life, I think there's in my heart a willingness to do things for God, to serve God, to love God, to tell others about God, to reach people with Jesus. But when it comes to sharing or serving, those two things, sharing or serving, sometimes this thought creeps in my mind. Well, I'm not not ready. Like, I'm not ready. I'm not prepared. I've only been at this for a little while, or I don't teach Sunday school. My wife, oh, God bless her. I love Bridget. She teaches Sunday school. She uses Sunday school for reasons she can't do stuff. She's like, Chris, I barely know the fifth grade material. I'm not comfortable doing high school, right? But we always have these defaults where we think back to like, man, maybe I'm not ready. Again, when you're doing this read-through, if it's one gospel, it's the four gospels, look at the people Jesus used. The shepherds are a great example. I mean, it's early on that they're out there pursuing Jesus, learning about him, telling people about Jesus, worshiping Jesus. The shepherds didn't say, well, we're going to have to wait. I mean, we're new at this. Okay? So I'll give you a few examples of things. One is, um, I know for me, sometimes when I'm asked to, to either lead in a ministry or, or even serve in a ministry. Uh, this is when I was younger. I, I would just tell myself, man, like I didn't grow up in the church. I'm learning a lot of this the same time the teens are learning this. Okay, now I don't mean as a youth pastor, but as a youth volunteer. I became a Christian late in high school, was asked to be a volunteer in my early 20s, late 19s, and I was learning stuff along with the kids sitting next to me. But man, did God teach me and grow me and use me. So we, we don't want to do that. Another one is you just look through scripture at how quickly or the people that God used. I mean, if, if he uses shepherds and he's using, you know, the tax collector, he can use you, believe me. Believe me. There's a saying, I think it was Spurgeon, I forget who said it, but he said, God doesn't choose the qualified, he qualifies the chosen. So we can jump in. We can jump in. We should do due diligence. We should be reading and learning, but don't talk yourself out of it. Um, I was kind of cracking up about this today because I was thinking, man, 
Do you know when Jesus ascended into heaven, the disciples were only with him two to three years? I mean, that's not a long time, right? Pastors spend longer in seminary than the disciples had with Jesus, and then Jesus is gone. It's like, here you go, guys. Oh, this is going to be hard. You bet. You bet. It's going to be hard. Learn. Do it, right? So I'm cracking up because I'm on my way down here, and I'm like, man, it is just crazy that people God chose to use and how he chose to use them. And then I was thinking about Jordan, you know, and you guys are so blessed with Pastor Jordan. What an amazing pastor. And, and I was asking when I got here, how old is Jordan? And is it, Chris, was he 33, is that right? 30. You know Jordan is the age of Jesus? Like, talk about how God uses people. Jesus is 33. Next year, your pastor will be older than Jesus was, okay? So, so listen, you don't have to sit back and say, hey, I gotta wait till I'm in my 40s. I gotta wait until I've been in church five years, or I gotta wait until I've read the whole Bible. Are, are you are you picking up what I'm laying down? It's okay just to jump in right now. I had a student of mine this week talk to me, and he said, and I was pretty impressed by this. He says, you know, I was uh, talking to a person at the the it wasn't the, it was the lunch table, but it wasn't lunch. It was during a, a study hall, and he said I was talking to somebody, and they are on the top the total opposite end of him politically. Okay, and he just heard them kind of railing about politics, and and this this young man, the student of mine went over to him and just said, look, I kind of lean this way. And he goes, I'm not wanting to argue with you, but can you tell me where you're coming from? Because he goes, in my mind, I just have a hard time getting it. And, and he told me they had like a civil, respectful conversation for like half an hour, 45 minutes, where he heard them. And they asked him, like, how can you think what you think? And he told them gently and kindly and humbly. And I'm like, wow, that's cool. Those never go that way. Like, grown-ups can't have those conversations. And he goes, yeah. He goes, we didn't talk politics the whole time. I'm like, oh, okay. And he goes, we talked religion, too. And I'm like, what? You got to religion through politics? And nobody was bleeding? And he's like, yeah, yeah, it was really good. I got to share with about Jesus. And, you know, and I'm like, that's amazing. So first takeaway, you guys, is you're not too young, okay? McCord, you're not too young. You're ready, sir, okay? Right? Right? Right, guys? We're not too young. We're ready. I don't want to pick on Dick. He's just one of the older guys that I know in the church. So, <laughs> Moving on. Uh, second takeaway. Second takeaway, if you would. I love you, brother. I want to look at two ends of the spectrum here. The first one, I just challenged you. Don't be too scared to get started. But the other end of that spectrum is don't get stuck in the mud. Don't get unteachable. If you've been at it a long time, if you've been an elder, if you've preached, if you've taught, if you've done all of it, Stay teachable. That's the other cool thing about this Jesus is you never get him in a box. You never get him figured out. You never outgrow him. In fact, I will share this from my own experience, but I've heard a lot of people say this. The more I learned about God, the more I learned about Jesus, the more I realized I have a lot more to learn. He's the only thing like that where the more you dig in, the humbler you are. And you're like, wow, he just blows my mind. So stay humble. Um, quick, quick story about me flying. I didn't, I didn't grow up going on vacations very often. Didn't grow up flying very much, but when I was, uh, when I was growing up, uh, I was about 20 years old. I went on my first mission trip ever. And when I was on my first mission trip ever, we were going from, uh, to, to Tijuana, which means we had to fly from Minneapolis-St. Paul down to San Diego. And I, I get on the plane, and I'm pretty nervous. And as I'm sitting there, you know, the stewardess gets up. Do we have a picture of the stewardess? No, this wasn't the stewardess. But she gets up, and she starts doing the thing with the, the seatbelts, and, and I am like, I, you've probably never met a guy more locked into this, right? Now, I swear this is true. I'd never flown, and I thought, in my heart of hearts, they had a room in the back with parachutes in them. I mean, that just makes sense, doesn't it, Dan? Like, if you're on a plane, 
Why wouldn't you have parachutes? And so I'm listening to the stewardess, and I'm like, okay, let's, where are the parachutes at, and how do I get them if there's a problem? Okay? Now, two things. One is, if you've never flown, kids, this is going to shock. They don't have parachutes on planes. Here's what I found out they do have. Life preservers. Okay? They got life jackets on planes. Keep in mind, I'm flying from St. Paul to San Diego. So I'm crossing the Great Plains, the Rocky Mountains, and Death Valley Desert. We're not going over any water, but we got life jackets, okay? No parachutes, but here's my point. As I'm listening, first time on a plane, I mean, I am locked in. When she was done, I could have gone the return flight, probably done her spiel for everybody. I knew it that well. But as I looked around, there were people talking to one another as this life-saving advice was being given. Do you understand? There were people sleeping and reading, and I'm like, listen, she's going to tell us where the parachutes are at, you know? So my, my point is this. My point is this. We should, as maybe Christians that have been at it a while, you're a little more mature, we should still keep that attitude of like, in church, in personal study, I'm locked in and I'm listening because I got growing to do still, okay? Let's not get to that point where we're like on standby and just going through the motions. All right, I think that was our last slide. What I would like to do is just close with, I'm going to ask the worship team to come up in a minute, but I'd like to close by giving us just maybe 30 seconds to a minute of time to pray to Jesus. And I love doing this with our church up in Spirit Lake and with the students. And just be just listen. Just ask, God, is there anything you want me to serve in? God, is there anyone you want me to share with? And that might look like this. That might not look like you go and talk with them today over lunch. It might mean you start praying for your father-in-law who doesn't know Jesus yet. I want you to start praying for him because you haven't even prayed for this man that's so close to you that doesn't know me yet. I want, so just listen for what God would have for you. But as we have that kind of moment, that half-minute minute of silence, I'll have the worship team come forward. So let me pray for us. I'll have you pray silently, and then we'll go into our, our worship set. Let's close our eyes, and I'll have the worship team come forward. Lord, we just come before you right now, and I thank you that your mode of operation is not like mine because I don't have a great success rate. But God, you started something, I mean from the beginning, but 2,000 years ago, you, you started something with a motley crew of people that I would not have put together, that I would not have expected something from, and we're still talking about it today, halfway around the world, different language. We literally are sending a pastor back to Africa to tell them about it. Like the word got out, and those disciples did it because you were with them. So, so I pray, God, that you would speak to us, and you would just, whether it's an image or a gentle whisper, that you would share with us if there's anyone we need to be sharing with or if you want us to serve in any particular area at the church.